Okay, let's turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, and the verses that Claire read for us. And we're going to consider the subject of tradition and the Word of God, and just how easy it is for us to turn away from God's Word because of traditions. Now, all of us have traditions. We all have different uh, traditions, the way that we do things. But it seems that religion in particular is very, very good at gathering together traditions. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorites is from a few years ago where I read about a crisis in what was called the WWW. The WWW is the worldwide wig industry. And the crisis in that was that the Orthodox Jewish Council had decided that the wearing of wigs made of artificial hair made from the hair of Indian Hindu women was no longer acceptable. And the reason is, I didn't know this, a large part of the wig industry is for Jewish women who uh, follow the strict teaching that their head is to be covered and not with their, their own hair because that would be their glory. So instead, keeping with the letter, if not the spirit of the law, they buy glamour wigs made with real human hair and wear it over their own. And actually, much of that did come from Indian Hindu women. But the Jewish council said that because these women and their, thus their hair had been in a temple, it had been involved in idolatry and it couldn't be worn. Now that seems, uh, uh, to us, I think, a ridiculous example. But there are many, many others and some a lot closer to home. It's in that context that you read the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law. I say in that context, not because of that particular issue, but because there were always issues similar to that. And Jesus comes into that context. Now, the interesting thing about Jesus is that we know him as a gentle and peace-loving person, but he seemed to have the habit of really annoying and upsetting people. And here it really gets quite difficult and quite rough. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage, we're going to consider what Jesus was doing, and we're going to consider how it affects us, in particular the last part where it talks about what sin really is. Now, the issue that's going on here is the issue of uncleanness, ceremonial impurity. The disciples were eating with unclean, the word that is used is koinos, common hands. It says if you look there, they were eating with unclean, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews don't, do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. Now, I'm going to show you how to do this, how you give a ceremonial washing. It's with a fist. And what you had to do was this. Um, the hands had first of all to be clean. Before you did a ceremonial washing, any dirt or gravel or sand or anything would have to be gone. So you basically wash your hands before you do the ceremonial washing. Then the water had to come from a stone jar. And what you did was you wash your hands with the fingertips pointing upwards. You would, uh, water would be poured over them like that, and it has to go down to the wrist. You were allowed what was called uh, a quarter of a log. That was the measurement. That's basically an eggshell and a half of water. That was all the amount of water, enough water to put on the fingers so that it would go down to your wrist. 
Then, when it reached your wrist and it was wet enough, you cleansed your hand with your fist. So you had to do that. Then, once that had done, the trouble is that the water was unclean because it touched unclean hands, so that your hands were still unclean. So then what you had to do, the hands had to be held with the fingertips now pointing downwards, and water again is poured over them in such a way that the water drips off the hands and goes down. And once you had done that, your hands were clean. Now you went through that whole ritual every time you did a ritual washing. And you can see here that uh, they observed many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. This was not the Pharisees being modern man, new age men going in and doing the dishes. This was a, a, a symbolic way, a ritualistic way of cleaning. You did it when you returned from the marketplace. If you look at verse 4, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. The reason for that was very simple. Because if you went to the marketplace, you would probably come into contact with Gentiles and thus you would become unclean. If even the shadow of a Gentile fell upon you or on your plate, then you were unclean and you needed to wash ceremonially before you could eat. The Mishnah, the Jewish laws, you know, sometimes I see Christians who kind of wax eloquent about some of the Jewish laws. Now, some of the Jewish traditions that come from the Old Testament, I think are great. But at the time of Jesus, there'd been so much added on, and this is what was called the Mishnah. The laws on uncleanness were ridiculous. For example, if you had a three-legged table, it could become unclean. But if you had a two-legged or a one-legged table, which I think is very difficult, how do you have a one-legged table? Then it wouldn't be unclean. However, if you lost all three legs, it became a board, then it became an unclean board. <coughs> and you really find yourself uh, getting really, really caught up in all these rules and regulations. And Jesus' disciples just did not do that. So verse 5, the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the, to the tradition of the elders? Did that matter? Yes, to the religious leader, leaders it did matter. If you ate with unclean hands, you were going to, they believed you'd be attacked by a devil called Shibta. You'd become liable to poverty and destruction. There's one infamous case of a rabbi imprisoned by the Romans who used the water given to him for hand washing rather than drinking. In other words, he was given water to drink, but he used it to ritually clean his hands and he almost died. It's a religious fanaticism and legalism that is deadly. There was, a, again, another incident a while ago in, in Islam of a man who was on his way to murder someone and he stopped off for a time of prayer because it was prayer time before he went on to kill them. It's an extraordinary. You think, how can you actually do that? I think the, the teaching that was there, I mean, it's very easy to look at it and in a sense to mock it because we're in such an anti kind of law uh, idea but the teaching was meant to safeguard the proper understanding of the law but it was under threat by the careless understanding of the disciples of Jesus what they were basically saying is once you get the the washing wrong then you're going to end up murdering people you're going to end up turning away from God 
It mattered to the crowd, not just to the Pharisees. So much of their life was dominated by such considerations. It mattered, it continued to be an issue in the Christian church. For example, in the New Testament church in Acts chapter 15 and verse 19, we read this. The council of, that is of, of Christians wrote, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Saying, basically saying we shouldn't ask them to observe all the Jewish laws, but we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now to some people, the religious rules, the religious laws are absolute and it causes a great deal of trouble. I think it's why many people are put off uh, religion. It is very, very easy to offend religious people. I think this mattered to Jesus as well. You look at verse 6. He, verses 6 to 8, he responds to this by citing Isaiah. He quotes from the Greek version of Isaiah 29, verse 13. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He does it with an element of sarcasm. He's saying, beautifully, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He talks about how they put a hedge around God's word and God's law, but by doing that, they were destroying it rather than protecting it. They go through the ritual of word and deed, but they're not committed in their hearts to the spiritual intentions of the law. And that, of course, is what matters to God, the heart. But what actually happens when our hearts are not devoted to God is, and, and to his word, we end up replacing it with our own human teaching, which we then say is based upon it. And we end up becoming hypocrites. I was in a church uh, speaking as a guest and if you'd been in the actual service, you would have thought, my, this was wonderful. Not the preaching, but you would have, you know, the, the ritual, the choir came in. They had precisely the right robes. Apparently, you had to have certain robes for that week. They had the right robes for that week. The, the, the singing was lovely. The singing was wonderful. Um, the, it, was, it was a very ritualized service. And if you'd been in it, you probably would have felt, well, that was done properly. <coughs> and yet... In the room beforehand, when I was there with the choir as they were putting their robes on and later on as they were taking them off, what were they talking about? They were talking about getting drunk. They were talking about um, who they were going to be sleeping with. They were talking, it was, it was quite horrendous. The whole thing for them was just a performance. They were just going in, they were going to perform something, and they were coming out. It wasn't really an act of worship. Now, maybe that's an extreme example. But it's very easy for us to become hypocrites. There was a, this took place near Nazareth, and there was a Greek theater in a place called Sepphoris near Nazareth. And the Greek word for the actors who played in that theater was hypokoton, from which you get the term hypocrite. We had the discovery camp this week, as we've already prayed about, and it was funny hearing a couple of the six-year-old boys calling each other hypocrites, which uh, was very, very interesting. And it was because a song, which I'm not going to sing to you, which goes, I don't want to be 
No, I want to be a sheep. That's right, I don't want to be a goat. No, no, no. And then it's, at one point it says, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And the explanation of hypocrite in that song is someone who's not hip with it. So uh, it was a bit corny, to be honest. But hypocrite, the word just simply means someone who's a public actor. Someone who's more concerned about their public image than true piety. One whose whole life is a piece of acting without any sincerity behind it at all. I've mentioned other religions, I've mentioned other things, but sometimes we find that ourselves. We, we have our own religious traditions and customs. People who think because they dress up in a suit, come to church, that's fine. People who think because they lead worship or they, they, they play in a band or they sing in worship, think that that's, that's fine. Just by going through the motions of worship. And Jesus says, you're hypocrites. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's an illustration that he now gives. He talks about how they set aside the commands of God in order to observe their own traditions. It's not even that the traditions are something that just goes alongside the word of God. The traditions take away from the word of God. He quotes Exodus. Moses said, honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But then he says, what you do is you say, the help you might have received from me is korban. In other words, let me explain what that is. Korban is an Aramaic word which takes a Hebrew equivalent used in Leviticus, Numbers, and Ezekiel to speak of an offering to God. And when it said honor your father and mother, it doesn't mean just say be nice to your father and mother. It means you look after your father and mother. You're in a day, this is a, diff, a more difficult thing for, for us in one sense because we grow up in a culture where people say, well, the state looks after older people. But the honor your father and mother in, the, in, in two, at least two times that it's commanded, it's talking about you have a responsibility as children to care for your parents. One of the reasons that sometimes families were so big was children died so young some children died very young and therefore the families wanted to make sure that there were enough children around to help look after them when they were unable to look after themselves. Now what the Pharisees were doing is this. They were saying, we're supposed to give you this gift. We're supposed to, but we're saying it's korban. We're saying it's now dedicated to God. We're giving it to God. It's holy. It's set apart for God. Jesus says, you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. You nullify the word of God. It was a very clever way of doing things. It seemed as though it was religious. It seemed as though it was helping the cause of true religion. But it wasn't. But by Jesus' day, it had become a tradition and a custom handed down. Verse 12, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. That's another thing often about tradition. Is that it gets passed on from one generation to another. We have always done things this way. 
is a statement that is the mark of a dying church. It is incredible how strict we can be when it comes to these things. Oh, excuse me. That's not traditional. I'm not sure. But um, I would say just simply this, that we find ourselves in a culture where, I'm going to say something positive about tradition in a moment, but we find ourselves in a culture where the church can sometimes find itself just doing things because that's the way that it's always been done. That we too can let go of the commands of God and hold on to the traditions of men. The former minister of Stornoway Free Church, Murdo Alec McLeod, who's a, uh, I wouldn't say he was a, a, a radical liberal in any sense whatsoever. He's a very conservative man. But he wrote in his diary once that he would, he thought he could probably get away more with saying that uh, Jesus wasn't the Son of God than uh, changing the time of the morning service because it would just really, really upset people. Well, we may have our own traditions and ideas, but it's not our religious rituals that make people unclean. Jesus, after speaking directly to the Pharisees, telling them, you have nullified the word of God by your tradition. You do many things like that. He calls the crowd to him and says, listen, everyone understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean. It's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now that, to understand how revolutionary that was. For some people, it was probably the most revolutionary statement in the whole of Jesus' teaching. There's a book, uh, an apocryphal book in the Old Testament called Fourth Maccabees. And it, in it, one of its chapters, chapter 7, it tells the story of a widow and her seven sons. And most Jewish children would have grown up with this story. Now, it's kind of, this is kind of a horrible story. So if you're of a very sensitive disposition, then make sure that uh, you don't listen. Let's see if I'm... Because it tells the story of a Syrian king, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was determined to destroy the Jewish faith. So he ordered that all Jews should eat pork. These seven uh, sons of this widow refused. And chapter 7 of 4th Maccabees, it, does, it's, it's, it reads like a horror film. The first one had his tongue cut out, the ends of his limbs cut off, and he was then roasted alive in a pan. The second had his hair and the skin of his skull torn off. One by one, without going into any more detail, they were tortured to death while their elderly mother cheered them on, proud that her boys would rather die in this horrible way than eat pork. Now the point is this, that the disciples and the people who were listening to Jesus were brought up on stories like that. They were meant to inspire them. And here along comes Jesus and says, actually they died for nothing. It's not what you eat that makes you unclean. That's an incredibly offensive thing for them to hear. The disciples didn't really understand this. So, verse 17, after he leaves the crowd and enters the house, his disciples ask him about this parable. And he says to them, are you so dull? 
it's really, it's very strong. Again, you know, are you, are you, don't you get it? Are you that slow? Don't you understand what is being said? Food is harmless. It goes into the body and it comes out. It's very direct. Verse, eight, verse 19, it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean, which incidentally was to become a very, very important thing later on. What really makes the people unclean? The church, it's a new way of looking at the law. It was really radical. One practical implication was the church became open for everyone. People could eat together without becoming unclean. Before, if you were a Jew, you weren't allowed to eat with Gentiles. You you remember the story of Cornelius and how Peter would never ever have, he, he just would not have eaten with Gentiles. But after that happened, after God had showed him that he could do that, he himself then got in trouble for eating. Why are you eating with Gentiles? It was just a, a, a huge over, overcoming of the barriers. Ephesians 2 talks about the dividing wall of partition having been broken down. There was open table fellowship. We have communion and people of different races and of different backgrounds, men and women, young and old, are able to share together because of their common faith in Jesus Christ. Real cleansing, real forgiveness, and real purity didn't come from food laws or religious rituals, but through the death and sacrifice of Jesus. Now, the disciples found that really hard and took a long time to get hold of it. The early Christians were often tempted to return to an outward religious ritual as a means of cleansing. So when you read letters like Galatians, when you read, you read James or Peter or Hebrews, the temptation was there. And I think that temptation still exists today for this reason. Because the notion that sin is like a germ that you can catch was and still is very prevalent. It's a disease you catch by contact with people outside. So, you, you know, if, if you've ever seen the Amish, I, I watched, um, I think this must have been Bev's responsibility actually, uh, a guy called Weird Al Yankovic, who has a song about the Amish, which is actually very, very funny. Uh, you'll get it on YouTube. But the Amish, I mean, people kind of make a joke about the Amish. The Amish, of course, are the Mennonites in America who they don't wear braces, they don't have electricity, they don't have cars. And there's a program on television just now as well about four Amish youngsters who've come to Britain. And that's also very, very interesting to, to kind of watch that. But... The idea of being disconnected from the modern world, but sometimes also there's this idea of being disconnected from people. Because if you mix with the wrong sort of people, even by being in their presence, then somehow you will get infected. And there is an enormous danger in that. I think it is very important that Christians have Christian friends and so on. But it's also very important that we don't think that by cutting ourselves off from others, somehow we are likely to be pure. We're not going to be. Because sin is something that comes from within. Incidentally, it's one of the big differences between Christianity and virtually every other religion. Because all religions assume that those outside are dirtier. They assume that you can 
you know, you've got to be within this group. But that's not what Jesus teaches. The disciples took a long time to get hold of it. The Pharisees are a classic example of how we become trapped by the walls that we build to protect the word of God. One man writes this, it's characteristic of all those who would find their justification in the law that they always end up by modifying it or perverting it in order to escape from it and to make void its authority. In other words, this is what you need, the Bible, and you don't need to add to it and you don't need to take away from it. You don't need to add to it to protect it. You don't need to take away from it to make it more palatable. You just stick with the word of God. In verse 20, Jesus lists, verse 21, he lists sins. Out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Traditional ritualistic religion does not deal with that. These sins do not come from food. They come from the heart. And the religious are just as likely to be guilty of them as anyone else. Evil thoughts are the basis. What we think, how we think. And then from that come these 12 name vices. Sexual immorality. Every kind of lustfulness. Theft. Murder. Adultery. Greed. The accursed love, as someone's described it, of having. Sees happiness in things rather than God. Malice. The desire to harm and to hurt. Deceit. Guile, again, using that to harm and to hurt. Lewdness, a, resent, a, a, a disposition of soul that resents all discipline, no restraint. Envy, literally the evil eye. Just wanting what other people have got. Slander, insulting man or God. Arrogance, thinking you're above other people. Folly, not stupidity, but moral folly. The man who chooses to play the fool. There was a danger and there is a danger that we get very upset about things that we, which are relatively trivial. We strain at gnats and we swallow camels. That we concentrate on external ritual whilst failing to see that people are really being challenged and liberated. And refusing to seek that challenge and liberation for ourselves. By the way, that's across the board. There's a mistake here that people make. They think that if you're a traditional church where you have traditional hymns or traditional psalms and you dress in a traditional way, that's you being legalistic. But if you're a modern church where you have a full band and you have different songs and so on, that's not being legalistic. Yeah, it can be. Because the same emphasis is being placed on external things. How many people, and I think of the students who will come to Dundee this year, how many of them will say, well, I can't go to that church? Because you get the booklet that tells you, is it blended worship or contemporary worship or traditional worship? And you see a traditional, you go, can't go there. Why not? Can't go there because it doesn't... Why? Why are you focusing? Why would people focus on the external? It's people who... It's not just people who see themselves as more traditional who focus on the external. Sometimes those who see themselves as being hit with it, let's put it that way, are hypocrites just as much. They go along, join in everything, but it doesn't make any difference. 
to their hearts or to their lives. I think as well we need to be very careful before we make judgments about things that are different from what we are used to. John Wesley complained that he thought outdoor preaching was a sin because it seemed so improper and yet he became the greatest outdoor preacher of all. Is there any place for tradition? Of course there is. Every human society has tradition. We could not live without it. It's often unspoken. It's just simply assimilated. If you meet a group, I, I love this when you get a church that says, we're a non-denominational church. Or we're a non-traditional church. No, you're not. You've just your own denomination or your own tradition. Any group that starts up without a tradition soon develop one. The point is whether these traditions are kept in proper perspective. Whether these traditions are subject to the examination of scripture and the criteria of the kingdom standards, that is, inner purity. In a sense, we need to hold lightly to our traditions. Sometimes those of us who are Protestants will complain the Catholic Church is too tied to tradition rather than scripture. But sometimes we find ourselves in exactly the same position. In theory, we're meant to be more tied to scripture, but in practice, we can be just as bad. It's very important to distinguish between adherence to tradition and obedience to God, especially when we're so inclined to judge other people by these criteria. We should just simply be asking whether people follow God's word and what spiritual integrity they have. Interesting also here that uh, thing that puzzled me a little bit. Jesus complains about the Pharisees nullifying the word of God by their tradition and then he himself goes against some aspects of the Old Testament law it seems by cancelling the food laws. How is that possible? Because he's the son of God and he can do so. His word is not human tradition, but it's divine. Jesus has the authority to change the tradition. The elders do not. Jesus, for example, changed the Sabbath from the Saturday to the Lord's Day. And I personally don't believe any church has the right to change God's word and to change what Jesus says. We don't have the right to take away from it and we don't have the right to add to it. So it's all the more important that we keep coming to the word and saying, what does it mean? But let me finish just by asking this. If these things come from within, evil thoughts, and then I'm suggesting to you that evil thoughts is the blanket term and all the other things stem from that. How do you deal with that? Because here's the problem. If I think about not having evil thoughts, it makes me have evil thoughts. And if I don't think about it, then they'll be there anyway. How do we deal with it? If it can't be dealt with by religious ritual, if it can't be dealt with by traditional ways of purification, if it's not how you wash your hands or how you worship, it needs, what is it? It needs something much more radical. It needs a radical spiritual surgery that changes our inner nature. In medical terms, and I'm reluctant to speak medically, but stick with me for a minute. In medical terms, sin is not a virus or a bug that comes to us from outside. It's not head lice or something like that. It's something internal 
and requires radical surgery. And that surgery is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is regeneration. It is a changed nature. So most people, and those of us here, we have a simple choice. We can choose to follow no religion, so we laugh at them all. But that then is illogical, irrational, and harmful. I would argue it is anyway, because we still have to deal with God. You can choose to follow a religion that follows the normal pattern of dealing with sin by religious methods and even fanaticism, and you can become really fanatical. You can become a fanatical, legalistic Christian. You can become a fundamentalist Muslim. And when you think about some of the horrors that go on in Afghanistan with the Taliban, how can people do a lot of that? But it happens. And people do it because of their religion, because of what they have been taught. And you can think that that is making you right with God. Or you can come to Jesus Christ to make you clean. To seek his forgiveness, to be given a new heart and a renewed mind. What Jesus really is saying here, and he's saying it to people who have taken so much been given so much in terms that the Jewish people had been given God's word. They were God's chosen people. And yet they'd taken that very precious thing. And these leaders in particular had turned it into something horrendous. That, I, I believe that that still does happen in the Christian church as well. But we can, we can have the option. We can have the choice. Is it new life in Jesus? Or is it old religion and although that's a bit cliched I think the choice is rather obvious so let's not be too quick to point the finger at other people and say that they are legalists or traditionalists or whatever my argument would be that we all have that we all have this temptation to judge things by certain external things. Oh, this was great or that was great, but we're judging it externally. But what we should really be concerned about is how do we deal with these things that are within us? How can we have a clean heart, pure? How, can, how is that possible? And the only way is through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and that you spoke truth. And you spoke truth to those who needed to hear it. To the Pharisees, you told them what they were doing. Nullifying the word of God for the sake of their tradition. You told the disciples how difficult it was to follow you. That it couldn't be done through ritual and rules. That it had to come from within. And Lord, that would be a tremendous burden. Religion would be easy in comparison with that if it were not for what you did on the cross and your spirit being poured out and given to your people. We pray for us here. Pray for us in this city and in Scotland and in this church. Your church is taking a battering. People have turned away from your word even within the church.
People are making up their own religion, inventing their own Jesus. People, O Lord, react to that and want to protect and make a whole set of rules. These rules become the important things. Both those who take away and those who add on to your word. Destroy it. Or at least destroy its use for themselves. But we bless you that you have freed us from the deceitfulness and the stupidity and the foolishness of following man-made rules and traditions. Lord, we thank you for the traditions and customs that we have here in this church. But we thank you that they are all subject to your word, that they can and must change as you continue to teach us and speak to us from your word. We pray that we would not be those who find their comfort in meaningless religious ritual or in external things, but that we would find our peace and our hope and our comfort in you. That our religion would not just be a, meaning, uh, a matter of words and rituals, but would be seen in deed and seen in truth. Lord, I thank you again for the children who are at the Discovery Camp. I pray your blessing to be upon each of them. And I pray, Lord, that somehow you would help them to see and their parents to see that we are not talking here about religious ritual, but we are talking about life and the life that is to be found and known in Christ. May each of us know that, for we ask it in your name. Amen.